Are either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. A little bit quieter in the screening room this week, but still some good stuff to talk about. Welcome to the Screening Room Podcast, brought to you by the Marcus Crosswoods Theater, now featuring the 70 feet wide ultra screen with Dolby Atmos surround sound and those dream lounger recliners. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we are from MadWolf.com, taking a look first at the new releases in theaters this week. This one getting a much wider release. I think it's opened it opened maybe a week or two ago in a few select cities, but uh, now it's out nationwide, 30 years after they served together in Vietnam. A former Navy corpsman, Larry Doc Shepard, reunites with his old buddies, to bury his son, a young Marine killed in the Iraq War. This is Last Flag Flying. I haven't seen these men in decades. They represent a dark period in my life. Because of my son, I came here, found you guys. A year ago, we joined the Corps, and then two days ago, they told me that he'd been killed. He's going to be buried in Arlington, and I was wondering if you guys could come with me. He sent him off to a godforsaken desert. Why? I'm taking Larry home. With all due respect, sir, he deserves to lie at Arlington. You're going to take Doc back and try to make it fun. You're cutting off your nose to spite your face. Did you look at these faces? They've already been spited. So this is the latest from Richard Linklater. And you know what? There is never a good reason not to see whatever he has coming out. That's very true. This is the first one since Everybody Wants mm-hmm, Some. Mm-hmm. Um, Baseball movie from a couple of years yeah, ago, about two ve- years ago. Very enjoyable. Charming. Very enjoyable. And then, of course, before that was the... It just, boyhood, boyhood. One of the greatest movies ever made. Yeah. And he's had... And they had the whole Before Sunset trilogy and right, everything right, right. like that. And take it all the way back to, um, you know, all right, all right, oh, all right. Days and Confused. Days and we, confused. we can't forget School of Rock. <laughs> That's right. Lest so, we forget. Yeah, exactly. So Richard Linklater is a guy you should always have on your radar. And this one, he uh, not only directs it, he co-writes. He helps adapt the script with the guy that wrote the source novel, a guy named Daryl Ponixon. And it's interesting. He's done a lot of military He has, stories. especially. And that really comes into play in, in this movie, because if you've seen... One of uh, Daryl Ponixon's movies from the early 70s, The Last Details. Jack Nicholson. Nicholson. Yeah, and Randy Quaid is the young Navy guy. Mm -hmm. They have to, they're escorting him to prison, basically, Mm -hmm. but they decide to give him a life lesson along the way and have a lot of fun. So if you've seen that movie and and you're seeing Last Flag Flying, it isn't long before you think, you know what, this could be an unofficial sequel. (laughs) I mean, the characters are not the same. Some of their names are similar, some of their character names are similar, but. It could definitely serve as updating these characters, uh, looking back on their lives and uh, how they've changed with the years, how the world has changed, and in some important ways, how it hasn't. Uh, And that's an interesting way to to look at it. You certainly don't need to have seen The Last Detail to appreciate this movie, but it really, if you have, you'll get a different appreciation for it because you've got yeah steve carell plays doc and his uh, his son has tragically been killed in the iraq war and so he, it's set in the early 90s it's not set no, today it's set in 2003 sorry i apologize set, early 2000s yeah, yeah set in 2003 and that's a good point yeah you should bring that up it's set in 2003 with the iraq war really just at the time uh, saddam is being captured mm-hmm. in fact at mm-hmm. one point in the movie they see that on tv steve carell's character doc he has lost his son and he looks up his two old Buddies from Vietnam, uh, Larry Lawrence Fishburne, who plays Richard, and then uh, Sal, played by Brian Cranston, to help him bury his son. And when they get together, and when they finally uh, go to to see the body, they they realize that the official 
version of his son's death is not actually what happened. And uh, becoming disillusioned, Doc decides he, he doesn't want an official burial in Arlington. He wants to take the body back with him home to New Hampshire and bury his son at home. So then it becomes a bit of a road trip. And, you know, you think about three older guys on some road trip and you think, oh, no, this isn't going to turn into some wacky what adventures can we get into sort of thing. And it doesn't, thankfully, because uh, these Linklater and uh, Ponick Center, they're, they're too talented for that. There is, there is some humor here. In fact, there are a couple moments, I think, that were laugh out loud, but, but it's not that kind of a movie. This is a, a very gentle and loving movie about honor and about time and the nature of sacrifice, maybe sometimes the cyclical nature of sacrifice and having to deal with the fact that maybe sacrifices that were made may not have been worth it mm, in the end. Yeah. And, and, and those are some hard lessons, but it's, you know, it's Richard Linklater has such a way of directing where it's, it feels very hands off. It does. You know? It always but yet, does. But yeah. yet it's not no, really. No. It's just his way of, uh, I kind of called it organic storytelling. It just seems, everything seems to happen so naturally. Yeah. I remember we interviewed a chunk of the cast from Everybody Wants Some, which is another film that feels very, very organic. Like yeah. it's just happening in front of you. And, and what, what actually happened was the entire cast moved to his house in Texas, uh, and they lived on these little these little trailers out in his land where every single day, the first part of the day they played basketball or baseball, the second part of the day they did something else, the yeah. third part of the day, you know, and they basically rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed until it was second nature to them. Exactly. And I think that, I know he can't possibly be doing that with, with every one of his films, obviously, and, and a lot of the films have a really different tenor than others. School of Rock feels much more sort of polished and and scripted Mm -hmm. than something like this Mm -hmm. but you know there's no question that he's really quite a presence even if part of his gift is to make it seem like he's not there at all exactly because that takes talent to make it seem like you're not there and you're not really having a firm hand but but the the hand that you do have makes the end result seem just so effortless and natural and that's how this film feels especially when you have such great actors comprising the the main core here. I know, you know Fishburne has already won a couple of awards in film festivals for his performance. Yeah, they're all three fantastic. You have Fishburne, Cranston, of course, yeah. and Steve Carell. Steve Carell is so, so dialed down in this mm-hmm. movie because his character is overcome with grief. Absolutely. You know, maybe even taking comfort in that grief. Mm-hmm. That's where he wants to live. Mm-hmm. He wants that. Yeah. He needs that. And getting a little bit of solace from his friends. So the, the three of them are great. The one quibble I guess I would have with the movie is sometimes the characters there contrasts in their personality seems just a little bit manufactured. So wouldn't it be great if we have these sort of contrasts to then they can play off each other? It just seems to me just a tiny bit uh, manufactured at times, but it's a lot easier to take thanks to these performers right. because they're so good. Yeah. And they make it a joy to watch. Mm-hmm. And I will say, you know, brings have some tissues handy for the end mm. because it is definitely heart-tugging, but it's a moving film, sometimes laugh-out-loud funny, and I would recommend Last Flag Flying. Next up is a foreign film, one of the movies that could be in contention for Best Foreign Language Film at the Oscars this year. It's 120 BPM, the average heart rate. The protagonists of BPM are passionate about fighting the indifference that exists toward AIDS in 1990s Paris. It's called BPM. Nous vivons le sida comme une guerre, une guerre invisible aux yeux des autres. Pourtant nos amis meurent, 
et nous ne voulons pas mourir. Nous nous battons contre ceux pour qui l'épidémie est une aubaine car elle tue depuis plus de 10 ans dans l'indifférence générale. And as you say, this is France's official entry for the Academy Awards consideration. You know, a fairly likely contender once those nominations are released. And Cannes Grand Prix winner. So, you know, a lot of a lot of hype around. I mean, I know it's it's not a giant pseudo release. It's a, it's an independent film. It's a foreign language film. So maybe not on everybody's radar, but there there's already buzz that tells you you should probably be paying attention. Yeah, definitely. It's a very, very moving and effective film. It's by writer, director, well, co-writer. It's from director and co-writer Robin Campillo and... It's so fascinating the way that he directs this movie. It starts out as a very wide-ranging, sweeping political drama as it focuses in, in 1990s Paris with the Paris contingent of the ACT UP movement. Right. And they are pressing not only the state to come out with a, an official prevention policy for AIDS, but they are fighting the indifference of the overall population mm. to the crisis. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so early on, we as an audience get brought up to speed in tactics and procedures and things like that through the regular meetings of the ACT UP group, which is great. Right. Because we're talking about organic earlier. Exactly. It's very organic. It makes total sense. It's funny. There are two things about this movie that they do so well that are things that we touch on a lot, and one of them is that, is that if you need the audience to get up to speed and understand what you're talking about, you could do it the, the wrong way, which is to have a character explain it to another character who would already know it, or you could do it the right way, which is to have a genuine reason that this information has to be shared, which is how they do it here. Case in point, at their meetings, they don't clap to support a point during debate. They snap their fingers and they explain that is because they don't want the debate to stop. They don't want anyone to be drowned out. Right, right. But you get the, the affirmation that you have support in the crowd. And so... I wouldn't have known that, nope. but you brought that's just one of the things. And there's uh, many other points that are introduced that way. And so that's perfect. So you, you see early on active points about activism, points about sometimes the fragile nature of activism, how there's infighting within the group. Some parts of the group, some people want to have more confrontational protests. Sure. Some don't. Right. Some feel they are alienating who they're trying to reach. And that's fascinating as, as just that part of the drama is fascinating. And then slowly he draws the focus in toward he just settles on really two members of the group one a longtime member who is hiv positive and one a new member who is still hiv negative and as they draw closer then the drama becomes much more hushed and much more intimate and, and it becomes okay we've already seen the 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 uh movement, mm -hmm. now look at the cause. Look mm -hmm. at why they're having this activism. This is why. Mm -hmm. And it's very effective and it's inspiring, it's sad, it's heartbreaking, it's hopeful, and it's loving in the end. And it's, uh, it, is a, it is a bit of a, bit of a watch. It's about two and a half hours, right, I think. Right. But it's one that you get caught up in. You get swept up in the story and you feel in the end, it, you know, it recreates an era, you know, the early 90s. Mm -hmm. you know, to us, that doesn't seem like that long ago, but it was. <laughs> you know, it was. And it captures the confusion. You know, back then, the, even though AIDS had been around for a while, the, the outbreak, the, the, the pandemic nature of it was still being dealt with in the no, gay community. Of course it was, yeah. You know, they were so confused about, you know, their lives and what was going to go on in the future and why didn't people care more. And all that is brought out in the movie. And it's... As I said, as it slowly focuses in from the from a wide, wide wide angle, so to speak, into a tight shot, mm -hmm. uh, both 
literally and figuratively, right, right, right. they do it. And I would definitely recommend, I would be very surprised if it's not nominated for Best Foreign Language Film this year. And that's BPM. And one more in wide release this week to talk about. It's a former rodeo champ befriending a young man with a propensity for violence. It's called Sweet Virginia. Must be a woman in your life. Yeah. Yeah, I guess there is. Make sure you hold on to that. I don't need to tell you what's going to happen if I don't get the money that I'm owed. I haven't really been sleeping much lately. Yeah. It's like every time I close my eyes, I have a nightmare. So this is one of those neo-noirs. It's actually set in Alaska, uh, which took me a while to figure out. And John Bernthal plays the rodeo star, the former rodeo Always star. Always like him. He's great in everything. He's the new uh, The Punisher, which uh, is a, I've heard that. Yeah, 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 which I haven't seen, but no. I can see with his presence, he'd be a good one. So Bernthal plays a motel owner now, rodeo star turned motel owner. He's inherited this motel from his brother. And it's the kind of a low-key, small-town motel where a lot of different folks might stay, including this drifter played by Christopher Abbott. And one of the things I love about this is because these two characters couldn't be more different, but the men have always reminded me of each other. Christopher Abbott is a good bit younger than John Brenthal, but mm-hmm. he starred earlier this year in the magnificent It Comes at Night. Yes. And the entire film, I kept thinking to myself, this guy reminds me of John Brenthal. This would have been a great <laughs> role for John Brenthal the whole time. So it was so, so interesting to see these two actors play off each other and where Brenthal's character is just a big bear of tenderness. He's such a loving presence. He is so kind. He's so full of compassion and chemistry with every single character. Very low-key, very sweet. Abbott's character is, and I read, I'm not going to take credit for this, but it's the best description. I read him, his character (laughs) described by somebody else as a snapping turtle with autism. He's... That's a good description. Yes. He's, he's just easily provoked he is ready to pounce he's and 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 the, the energy that the two bring are so so different but the two actors are physically so similar that it creates a very interesting energy for the film mm-hmm. the film itself is a, maybe a little bit too familiar it's a small town there's a, an act of violence there's a drifter there's you know a heist gone wrong there's you know there's a lot of things about it that feel Cohen-esque, and then and mm. then some. I mean, it just feels mm-hmm. like a riff on the same theme. Sure. And it's not just these two. The character uh, uh, performances across the board. And Imogene Poots has a really great role as kind of the femme fatale. And she's been good lately. Yes, she Over has been. Over the last couple of years. Yes. I mean, she's really, really strong. Absolutely great. And then Rosemary DeWitt, who's another just character yeah. actor who's great in everything. She's also in this. So all of the performances are, are so interesting that it helps to elevate this a little bit above the fairly common story that it's telling. So, you know, I can't be all 100% behind this, like, go, go right now. But, but you know, especially if you like sort of the hillbilly noir, I, I think this is a great, a great effort. And everybody involved, the filmmakers are all pretty new. Uh, the director is Jamie Dagg. The writers are Benjamin China and Paul China. And they've got a couple, all of them have a couple of credits here and there, but nothing, this is, this is pretty new yeah. for them. So hopefully they're, all three of them are, are, filmmakers, writers to watch in the future. Mm-hmm. So moving on to the new releases out on DVD and VOD and streaming and the whole bit. One that I think we we both feel is one of the criminally underseen movies mm-hmm. of the year, and Agreed. that is Logan Lucky. Man, 
Did I have a good time watching Logan Lucky? You know, I, <laughs> I think part of the problem, part of the reason that this movie didn't didn't fly is because people expected more of an outright slapstick style yeah, comedy. Yeah. Um, and it isn't. It, 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 it is rarely laugh out loud funny. It's amusing from beginning to end. It's very, very clever. I found it actually some somewhat sad. Yeah. Uh, I found it maybe funnier than a lot of people did, but Steven, it's Steven Soderbergh, and it's a hillbilly heist movie. And here's another description, which I can't take credit for, that I loved. Somebody called it Ocean 7-Eleven. Nice. And that's perfect, because that's what it is. It follows the Ocean's Eleven script so closely <laughs> with hillbillies. Yeah. Um, and... It's funny, too, because... Yeah, it's not boxing. It's NASCAR. It's NASCAR, you know, it's, yeah, right. I mean, there's so much about it, and then the performances are great. And I think there were, I think there was still some sort of mystery by the, the writer that yeah. got credit for the script may or may not have been a real person. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, seriously. I remember you said so that. So we're wondering if maybe Soderbergh really did write it. I, I don't know. The jury was out. But anyway, in the movie, they do address that elephant on the screen, like, and by mentioning Ocean's Eleven. Right, which, right. In fact, that may be where... The phrase "hillbilly 7-Eleven or uh, "Oceans 7-Eleven" came up, up right. in the movie, where on a news report or something. But yeah, and there, there are great performances. It's it's Channing Tatum and Adam Driver, and you've got Riley Keough and Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig is a hoot. Just steals the film oh as my. Joe Bang, mm-hmm. which I, I love that. Love that <laughs> character name. But yeah, it's out. I would we we both would would recommend it. I thought it was. I called it not just a hoot, two hoots and a ha. That's what I thought it was. <laughs> Double hoot for Logan Lucky. And another one that I didn't see uh, out this week, but you liked it very much, Super Dark Times. I did really, really like it. And it's a very small film, but you should you should look it up. You should check it out. Uh, it's a little indie sort of coming-of-age film that turns into a bit of a horror film. It has some great performances from, you know, teen, a teenage cast. It's got a fairly authentic look, I think, at at that transition between, you know, a nerdy kid who who uh, is just maybe getting old enough that he's not gross to girls, and then maybe the other friend who's always going to be the nerdy kid. Like, that moment in time where close friends separate because one is going to have a shot at the opposite sex and one isn't. It really nails that. And it also has, again, great performances and it is spooky, but it's also, it's so wedded to this idea of friendship that, and, and the stupid things that kids do, yet it, it never stops being engaging even as it gets spooky. So yeah, Super Dark Times, I would definitely recommend that one. Yeah, so recommendations for Logan Lucky and Super Dark Times out on the video this week. Um, what about Woodshock? It was, it was weird. It was weird. It was weird. It was an interesting, I think, attempt. And Kirsten Dunst is having a great year between this, which is a really good performance for her, and then, of course, also The Beguiled, which she was great in. Yeah. But this film, I mean, it, it it's very hallucinogenic by nature because it's about a woman who sells illegal yeah. marijuana who also sometimes dabbles in poisoning it to benefit the, the victims of cancer who are who are buying the marijuana from her and there's a mix up and, and it's told from her very fractured mental state. So the entire film has a very hallucinogenic feel about it. Unfortunately, it, it, it looks glorious. It never really kicks into gear in terms of story ever. It's almost like you're just high for 90 minutes and not a fun high. So, uh, and, it can, and it's so slow moving. It is. I mean, it really, really Ooh. is. Yeah, it just feels like you're you're stuck. You know, you're walking. It's like you're trying to run in a dream. You yeah, know, and you just very can't. Much that's what, it's what like. it feels like. Yeah, which again, I mean, to a certain degree, I think that that is successful. But it needed more of an actual story. It needed more of a plot to move it along and keep your attention. 
All right, so let's look ahead to next week. What do we got coming? The Disaster Artist. <laughs> the Disaster Artist. If you haven't seen it, if you don't know, it's about the making of one of the worst good movies ever made. Is that uh, what, one of the what, best bad movies best ever made? Bad movies yes. ever made. The that, Citizen Kane of bad movies, which it's is called. The, the Room. Room. Yeah. It's not a must for you to have seen The Room before you see this. It does help, but it's not a must. But I, I would say if you have the time. And you, you want to see the disaster artist? It's James Franco. Yes. He's starring and directing. Yes. Plus his brother Dave is in it. You've got uh, Seth Rogen. You've got uh, Allison Brie. Mm-hmm. We've already seen it, so we, we're going to recommend it. We won't get into it too much right now. But if you have time before it to see the room, <laughs> it'll give you a new appreciation. I for love that. the room. Yeah. So one of the reasons we are excited to see this is because we do. We've seen the room. We love the room. We like. You know, I personally, in particular, I have a soft spot for really. <laughs> fascinating bad movies and the room is right up there yeah and also coming next week is back to the tanya harding scandal well, i'm excited I, for tanya. this one it's getting some buzz not only for uh, i think allison janney who plays tanya harding's mom is getting a lot of early buzz for best supporting actress possibly at the oscars and as tanya it's margot, margot robbie. robbie yeah it's apparently is great so uh we haven't seen that we're going to see it soon so we look forward to that also just getting started uh, La- not so not so keen on that not one. so keen no. on that and thelma which you actually just watched i did and i liked them. i'm be excited to talk about it all right so we'll talk about those next week in the meantime let us know what you thought about these this week's releases or anything over the past few weeks always love to talk the movies and the best way to do that is on Twitter. You can find us at Mad Wolf. That's M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also Mad Wolf Columbus on Instagram and Facebook. And then you can find the written reviews of all these movies and more on our main website, which is madwolf.com. And the Screening Room Podcast is brought to you by the Marcus Crosswoods Theater. You can, and it's almost time, George. It's almost here. You can get, you can pre-order your Star Wars The Last Jedi tickets right now. And I would recommend it because you know every single screening is going to be sold out that opening weekend. You don't want to be left out. So we hope to hear from you. Until next week, I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.